welcome back to the Out of Edge podcast. This is Dr. Stacy Gonzalez. And today our special guest is Tara O'Brien, who's a partner at BTS Spark. Welcome, Tara. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. So thanks for being here today. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what your interest is in K-12 education. Great. So I joined K-12 education um, in 2002 after a brief career in the corporate world that just wasn't where my heart was. And I started off teaching uh, science to seventh grade boys, which I just loved. It's like <laughs> right in, you know, jump into the thick of things. And over the 17 years, um, like all great educators, I worked my way through the system. I got my teaching certifications and master's degrees, all the way up through being an administrator and a principal in different schools. And I have worked in a variety of schools across the nation, all set, you know, single sex, co-ed, boarding, and whatnot. And I just, I love it. I love education. I love what teachers are doing. But I jumped out of schools to join BTS Spark because what I was seeing was that there was this void around supporting the adults in the school community, you know, high levels of burnout and teacher turnover and principal turnover. And I just really wanted to work for the next, you know, iteration, the next 20 years of my career on what was going on in that part of our educational industry. And that's where my work with BTS Spark really comes in because um, that's what we do. We are looking to bring the best practice of leadership and mindset coaching to educators so that they can be fully supported in all of this amazing and dynamic and um, intense work that we do around working with you know, children, working with other adults, having to lead intense initiatives, and managing all of that in the course of, you know, six hour school day. Yeah, that is, well, thank you. First of all, thank you for your service to education. Okay. And it is, it's difficult work um, as, as I, I well, am well aware. And um, I think you're really onto something with what you're, what you're mentioning around supporting our adults. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit and, and talk about the, the stresses pre-pandemic that you were seeing on our, our educators and, and what that looked like. Um, and then we can go into to how you've kind of positioned uh, post-pandemic or during the pandemic, I should say. Yeah, you know, what I noticed over the years, and certainly in my own work, um, but just in talking with schools, is that there seems to be a lot of what we call the and in education. So you need to educate them in your core curriculum, and they need to have electives, and they need to have social emotional learning, and, you know, the sort of the and keeps compiling on. And one of the biggest things I would hear from teachers is that nothing ever gets taken off my plate right? It's always just more, more, more. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the real challenges and what's increased the stress it's, you know, and then I remember when the big technology boom hit right in schools. Um, and we went from just using whiteboards or even chalkboards to now being one-on-one -on -one programs, right? Like there's just this constant disruption and our schools training programs and, and in general, our school systems are just aren't really set up, haven't adopted the mentality of that, disruption, innovation, it's okay to just go with the flow, right? There's this commitment still to very 
sort of traditional education practices. And I think there's just so much tension between those pieces right now. And, and I mean, I could get into all sorts of interesting things around the responsibility for teachers of the whole social emotional program and mm-hmm. that they are not only just teaching math and science and English, they have, they're, we're raising this next generation of citizens. And is that a, even a fair ask of teachers? Um, there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot on their plate and it's, it, you don't want to say no, right? Teachers are in this for service. Mm-hmm. They love their kids. They love their job. And it's really hard to say, no, I don't want to do this thing that I know is great for kids. Yet, where am I supposed to put it in my day? And maybe I'm not even equipped to do it. You know, do I even feel that I can do this well? So there's just, there's a lot of um, tension and stress and personal growth that happens as an educator. Yeah, that is so true. And, and I think you you hit a really important point, which is how much more can we ask of those? I, I like to think of our educators as legit on the front lines. They are literally right. on the front lines. Um, I remember when the pandemic first hit, I was talking to one of my colleagues in, in another state, and we were saying how at what point will our school, our public school systems be forced to make a choice with what they're going to focus on and and what are we what are we really about because i know for for myself who i've spent the majority of my career in high school um, there is even greater competition when you think about athletics and activities mm-hmm. and the amount of, to your point, um, emotional trauma that our students are facing as they get into those teen years. Mm-hmm. And so that that has really been put on our educators. And I'm wondering how you help educators and what you're noticing with educators, because if we're not supporting them, how can we expect them to support our kids, Right. So, yeah. so how are you, how are you specifically helping educators through what is the most difficult time right now, <laughs> probably in their entire careers? So I think, so what we're doing, what our approach is that there are mindsets that sit behind every decision, every person has them, right? And we have a very formal curriculum that shows that there are 33 mindsets for for leaders. And I think leaders show up everywhere, right? You don't have to have a title to be a leader. Teachers are leaders every day. And it's these these mindsets that sit behind us that we often don't really uncover that are driving those stress pieces, are driving how we see the world, are driving how we show up every day. And our work is to start focusing on those mindsets and giving some real strategies and tools and tips with a professional coach on how to show up every day, knowing that you can't necessarily change the entire system overnight, or in the case of the pandemic, your entire system did change overnight and you have no idea what's happening. So so how do you as the individual sit in that? So for example, one of the things that just about every person that comes through our program or works with us talks on is this idea of um, mind traps and that there are these pieces, there are these thinking routines, these patterns that we have that are part of our core values that when they get triggered in a negative sense, get us really stuck in the way that we think and therefore influence every decision we make, how we interact with our colleagues, how we show up for our students, how we go home at the end of the day, and then 
you know, work with our families or, or even our sleep. And so when you're stuck in one of these mind traps, how do you get out of it? And those are the tools and resources that we work with the adults in the community on are, are those skills around, I can manage my own personal state. Mm-hmm. I can choose how I want to respond to this situation. And, and therefore the stress starts to fall away and you can sit with the, the unknown or the uncertainty just a little bit longer. Yeah. Or, right. Or you can have a better conversation. Like, you know, the avoidance around difficult conversations is huge in schools. We're all such nice people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't want to have a hard conversation. And so those things weigh on us. We don't, we don't want to, to do it. And so we avoid it or it gets too long or it starts to take up a really big presence in your life that it just doesn't need to. So we help people. How do you, how do you take that on? How do you work on you as the person, right? The mindset, right. As to why you don't want to go and engage in that difficult conversation. Yeah. And that is, that is, that's a, we know that's the, an approach that we need. We know the the research around mindfulness and meditation Mm -hmm. is, is very clear that, that it will, you know, if you practice, we, you know, headspace is a good example, Mm -hmm. free to educators, right? I was able to acquire that for our entire district and run some just real easy, you know, mindful moments during the day where teachers can log on and, and take a time out. But many times, one of the challenges that I know I've seen and others have seen is this concept of time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering how you you navigate that because there is a reality that it's going to before this before our podcast I did my headspace 10 minute you know it's about uh, 12 minutes um because I was a little edgy today I, I knew I was yeah. I was running here I was running there and it took me at least probably 6 7 minutes before I was cal- cal- I, f- I felt calm right mm-hmm. and and the rewards of that are kind they take time you know, you don't see it. It's it's continued practice over time. So how do you work with schools and or teachers to, to help them see that it's not going to happen overnight, but sustained practice over time will bring you that clarity, that calm, um, those things that, that we need now more than ever. <laughs> yeah, I think you've absolutely like hit the nail on the head with it sustained practice over time, right? That Anything we do around well-being or shifting behavior, shifting mindset, is there's no magic like I read this one book and I'm totally transformed. Um, I wish it were like that. Yes, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not. It, and it is that sustained practice. And so one of the things that we work with in our programs is that and help teachers with is that awareness is the first step. Right. So even the fact mm-hmm. that you knew that you were feeling a little frazzled, you you could then do something about it. And even just the awareness of, hey, I'm I might be entering this conversation a little, you know, discombobulated. So what what can I do if I only have five minutes? Or how can I just acknowledge that and table it and I can come back to it in an hour after this meeting? Like that's that's 80 to 90% of the game. And it's amazing how many of us don't even have that awareness. Mm. It's that noticing. It's that noticing. It's that Mm -hmm. noticing in the moment. And Mm -hmm. I think there's something I'm I'm, I'm wondering what what you think about this. There's something about literally stopping your physical body and controlling that for for somewhat of a sustained amount of time. Um, And have you noticed that also just helps just being still. For some, 
Yeah, for some it helps. I think that's what is so great about this work is that everybody has a different way of working through their toolkit. Hmm. So for some, it's staying still. For some, they need to know, is it a sensory piece, right? Do they just need to put some noise canceling headphones on because the class next door is just so loud and they they need a minute? Is it, you know, the the administrator, the principal that actually needs to get out of their office and take a walk because they actually need a physical change of space? Yes. And so it's, it's really personalized. And I think that's what makes other forms of support and even sometimes workshops or, or literature that's out there is that it's so personal and you need some help. Like you need to know what it is that's going to work for you and have a toolkit. So if you have three minutes, you can do something. And if you have 30 minutes, you can do something or, you know, you can start to anticipate what's going to set you off, right? Like I finally learned and gave myself permission as a principal to turn my phone off mm, at night. Mm-hmm. The DND, do not disturb. The do not disturb because that yes. ping at like yes. 7.45 could just derail my entire evening. And, and I don't even know who the email is from, but just the fact that my phone made that noise, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Put me in a state where I was not present for my children. Um, I was constantly battling with like, well, should I ignore it? No, should I go read it? Well, what if it's urgent, right? Like I was having these internal debates with myself that just took up, <laughs> took up energy. And in right. some respects, right. You talked about time too. There's a lot of time that's spent in these spaces anyway, right? Your, your internal narrative, your internal self-talk, the stress, the avoidance, the worry is taking up time. Well, and what are we what are we as the leaders? Because you said this earlier, teachers are, lead, it doesn't matter what your, your title is, we're mm-hmm. teachers are lead, right? What are we saying to those that we have influence with if we are constantly in this, this spinning of response, immediate response, this immediate response? I was thinking this last night about this generation of students uh, compared to, you know, my own, like when I, t- I have a 20 year old and an 18 year old, yeah. and when I tell them some of the things, like I had a, I had a, fo- a telephone <laughs> and I got my own line in my bedroom. And that was like the coolest thing ever. Right. And I was thinking though, about how um, they don't really know how to be alone. And, and, and fascinating. And I wonder if you've seen anything like this. Um, the the older kids and maybe even the younger kids, they tend to have their FaceTime on with it on pause. Have you seen this or do you know about this? I've heard of it. Yeah, my kids don't do a lot of it. I mean, they're on their digital devices, especially since they can't be at school right now. Yeah, yeah. So even my student groups. So when I talk to my student groups, this is what they told me, interestingly, that they'll the like the kids who are remote versus the kids who are in person because mm-hmm. we've got some hybrid they'll put their friend on their phone they'll they'll be on FaceTime they'll put them on pause and then they'll take them through their day with them through their classes yeah. through their phone and um you know maybe maybe it's part of this not being connected and feeling isolated but there's going to be things like that that when we are back in quote unquote <laughs> back to normal which i don't think there's a back to normal right. but when we get back to normal what things do you think we're going to kids are going to carry in with them and what things should educators be kind of on the lookout for um, relative to some of this social emotional and, and potential trauma that that students have been enc- encountered through this 
Yeah, there's a lot of great points in there. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that you said of like going, carrying somebody through your day, I think there is this real need for connection. And I'm hoping that when we get back into physical campuses again, and, and there is that feeling of moving with your, with your tribe or with your cohort, that need to have like your phone on you in the same way will change. It'll probably go back a little bit more to the normal piece of wanting to text your friends or share the anecdote that just happened. But I do think there's this desperate need for connection. Kids are feeling lonely. And I, you know, I think in my mind, what good leaders are doing right now, what we saw through the pandemic, what our research showed us was this idea that people who are gonna make space for that who are not going to try to just go back to business as usual, right, mm-hmm. are going to be more successful. So school leaders are that create space for faculty to connect, to allow them to talk about how this pandemic impacted them, to still save time in faculty meetings for those emotional connections to happen, sort of rebuilding that community is going to be critical. And I the same, I would give the same advice to teachers of like, they're going to need some time to Mm -hmm. get back into being a group again. For some, they're going to jump into it wholeheartedly and enthusiastically. There are going to be others that this is going to be a real shock if they've been out of school for a year. And, And this is what makes teaching so tricky, right? Is we're not just teachers, we're really, you know, child development psychologists and gurus and everything else. Yes. So to help the introvert, you know, who maybe loved being at home because they finally felt that it was quiet and safe and protected, come back into their classroom with their super extroverted friend who, you know, maybe isn't maintaining the six foot social distancing rule or, you know, all those things like, like we just need to let that happen. And I think if we try to control it and get really strict and really hard with rules, we're going to miss that whole emotional intelligence piece here about that self-awareness, the self-regulation, the self-connection, the, the piece that's been missing from schools. If we could just deliver content over the internet, like schools don't have a place, but we know that that's not what we're, what we're doing, right? We're, we're building community and we're connecting with each other. Yeah, because th- that's a great point. Schools are, com- they're, they're oftentimes the center of the community, right? The, the entire community um, that that's that individuals within the community rely upon. So I'm wondering, what are you, you know, you mentioned this making space and, and being very intentional about the way in which we support our educators. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any ideas of what that looks like now? How are you doing that now in a virtual space? And what do you hope it looks like? You, you mentioned a little bit what you hope it looks like when they come back, but how do we create those spaces so it so we have a little bit the best of both worlds? So I think a lot of this can happen virtually. And I think, um, well, and, and by virtual, I mean, I think it, it starts with the top. So I think mm-hmm. however the leadership team comes back to school is going to set the tone for how the rest of the community is going to run. And so what we saw, like even during the pandemic and as schools have been transitioning back, school leaderships, you know, superintendents and principals who are being very mindful, intentional. Um, you know, we caught, we talked about this in our, in terms of like our messy leadership research around 
engaging others, right? So not coming back into that hierarchical role of, you know, I'm the leader and therefore everybody's just going to do what I say, but still, you know, collecting information, doing collaborative conversations, listening to what people need, continuing to let go of, you know, that idea of normal, like you talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Like what's the new normal going to be? And it may be a, a perceived as a softer, gentler organization. But what we have found is that those are the spaces that are actually thriving when they come back, that they're not just like, okay, well, back to school and you've got, you know, 43 minutes of math and 27 minutes of reading and, you know, recess is at 10, 10. And if it's not over by, you know, 10, 15, you're in trouble, right? Like, right, right. like those things just need to soften a bit and they need to look and say, we're the architects of this experience. So how can we design it? And if they're not in a space to feel empowered that they're the architects of this experience, if they're not feeling like they're bringing their best selves, it's going to be really difficult to do. And that's the mindset work, right? Like that's the coaching work that we do is to help people get into that space of how do I show up? How do I allow this to unfold in a way that maybe is uncomfortable to me, mm-hmm. but I've got tools to sit with the discomfort so that I can build the best experience for the students. And that takes a certain level of courageous leadership. Because we know, uh, and, and certainly you know this as an administrator, I know this as, as an administrator, is that there is, um, especially now, a lot of pressure mm-hmm. from, you know, you're seeing it right now about standardized tests. And every day there's something new and, you know, the federal government putting it down to the states and the states are all right. And everybody's kind of up in arms. And so I'm, I'm wondering, and I talk to my teams a lot about tight, flexible Here's mm-hmm. what we have to be tied on, but here's where our flexible areas are. Absolutely. And so, right. So I'm wondering how do we, how do we almost give that permission to our, our leaders to um, say to them, especially in such a highly regulated education, public education is so highly regulated, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and ever changing with the, the rules of education, especially now, I don't know about you, but we can barely keep up with it. Right. So how do we allow for that that innovation thinking that can can really, um, especially with this work, which this work is so deep and so personal to the mm-hmm. individual, right? How, so how, what are you seeing and how might we do that in a way that really makes headway in this educational uh, landscape we're, we're working through? So this piece around like giving permission or <clears throat> having to go against the status quo, right? Like Yes, potentially that's what we need leaders to do right now. There's been a massive disruption to the world of education and there's lots of people looking at what, you know, this next iteration is going to be. And and so, you know, leaders are faced with this question of are they going to just return to normal? Right. Almost pretend like the <laughs> pandemic didn't happen. I, wouldn't that be nice? Like, uh, do you remember that movie with Will Smith where they take the little um, I can't remember what Mission Impossible, I think, where they take the little zapper yeah. and they zap you. Like wouldn't that that would be wonderful. But we're not going to get that, Tara. We're not going to get that. And we're so not getting a zapper. That, we're not going to get the zapper. And the leaders who try to stay in that space are going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Right? They're going to to feel overwhelmed. They're going to try to shoulder all of that responsibility. They're going to feel all the emotion without a place for it to go. 
And so that permission actually really comes from them figuring out what is preventing me from stepping into the disruption. Do I not feel confident? Do I not have a path forward? How do I trust Mm -hmm. others to take on some of that responsibility? And what is it about me that's not allowing them to trust or them that's not, you know, making it feel that they're trustworthy and getting into the, the second layer of what, what's really going on. Cause we've also seen some schools with the same parameters, the same stressors that are just killing it. Like they're doing a great job and it's because they're in a space where they are allowing for things to just evolve right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're doing the tight, flexible, they're recognizing like, okay, these are our non-negotiables, but these are also the core values of our school. And how are we going to do this? We know that kids can't learn if they are hungry, tired, stressed, emotional. So how are we going to help them knowing that some kids are going, have fared very well during the pandemic. They've been at home, they've got lots of resources and other kids really haven't. Mm -hmm. And so how do we provide for them to come back and have what we hope is a normal or same, you know, equal experience, knowing that they're coming from totally different, potentially totally different places. So like, that's that work that we help people or want people to, especially in schools to step back from of like, anything's actually possible, even all the constraints. It's just how you're going to respond to it. Do you have ways to flex your leadership and understand that Mm. you need to. Right. Right. Right? And do you even, and like, do they even know what that means? Do they even know their multiple leadership styles? And do they know which, what to use when, and what, to your point about the the tools in the toolkit, right? Like um, kind of keeping that, you know, education falls under human services, that is, that's what we are working with people and we are working to serve people. And, and you and I both know that is not, there's not one way to do that. That is, um, you wouldn't expect a doctor to walk in and serve every patient in the same exact way exactly. that walks in his door that day or her door that day. Right. So mm-hmm. for you, could you walk me through what a um, emotional supported, socially connected coaching session or, or the, mm-hmm. the work of that with educators, what does that look like? So let me, can I tell you a quick case study? And I think yes, that will help. Okay. Please. So last March, we were talking with a a large school district about bringing in some leadership coaching because they just wanted to have help build their leadership pipeline, right? Just a straight, like the pandemic hadn't even really fully taken root yet. And very quickly, what happened was that's not what we need. The superintendent said, we need to table that conversation. I have principals and teachers in distress, mm, right? Yeah, this, yeah. this, so he, he was aware enough to say, it's not going to be business as usual. Our whole system has just been thrown for a loop. We've had to close with, you know, two days notice. Mm-hmm. And I've just asked everybody to become a virtual educator, you know, overnight. And, and what he ended up doing, and we didn't, we didn't tackle anything during the school year, but what he ended up offering initially Um, was a series of support programs over the summer. And we put together a program called From Surviving to Thriving. And this was all based on personal resilience. And 
it was funny. Our conversation first started with nobody's going to want to do work over the summer, right? They just <laughs> had this awful spring. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're principals and they and vice principals and they, you know, technically work over the summer, but you know, he said, are you sure I should even offer this? And we said, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt, right? If you're willing to, to fund it, put it out there, put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So 85 of his school leaders signed up for this program. And, and what we did was we created a month long cohort where once a week they met with, you know, groups of six people, no more than six met to talk about very specific things around personal resilience. And what we we talked about the mind trap work that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. we talked about what it means to be in balance and how there's this idea that in balance means everything gets equal attention, which just isn't true. There's not enough hours in the day, <laughs> right? So what is the push and pull on your time? And when you feel out of balance, what does that mean? And how do you get back into balance? We talked, we, they worked with their coach on values and visioning, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. kind of reconnecting to their spark. Like, mm-hmm. why did you come into education? Right? Like, and how does that show up in your work every day? And if it's not like, how do we get it to show up in your work every day? And then their fourth session was on um, managing other pe- those relationships, other people, like as a principal, you're going to have to go back to school or you're, you are going to eventually have to interact with your teams again. Mm-hmm. How, how are you going to do that in a way that's really positive, knowing that all of your teachers are feeling similar levels of distress? And then in between those group sessions, which they loved because principals are often all by themselves. And this brought cohorts together and they actually could have a shared experience and it eliminated those feelings of isolation and that, you know, I'm the bad principal because I'm struggling with this or, you know, everybody else has got it all together and it's only my issue, right? Like that could go away when you're in a small group where you can be really vulnerable with one another. And then in between the group sessions, they had an opportunity to work one-on-one with their coach and do these really deep dives into some personal work. And what we found, what our survey data showed us and what the, their testimonial showed us was that this is exactly what they needed to not only reset, but feel empowered as they moved into the fall, mm. right? To, to mm-hmm. process some of the, ch- the challenge and the trauma that happened to them and to let it go. And then to like get in the right space to enter into the fall, which at that time was totally unknown. Right? They had no idea what was going to happen in September when they were going through this program in July. Mm-hmm. And then when their schools didn't go back into session, their superintendent said, great, I need to continue to support people, right? We're still in this total phase of disarray and not really sure what's happening. And he offered what, what we call flexible coaching to anybody who wanted it. Mm. And 91 people signed up for that out of his entire district and uh, 91 leaders. And he offered this to principals, superintendent, other superintendents, assistant superintendents, even all of the like admin personnel staff, you know, director of facilities, HR, everybody, because you're all dealing with people all the time. And 91 people signed up so that they could work with a coach every six times every three weeks. So it was like 18 weeks of support. 
to help them navigate the fall. Because what we found was each of them was struggling with something different. Right. right. For some, right. They still really needed to stay in that personal resilience space. Like they just, they really hadn't fully recovered or the, the you know, COVID impacted them in a different way than somebody else. Others were, were really wondering, how do I, how do I have these relationships? How do I support my team? How do I not take on all of their stress <laughs> into mine? Well, and, and I love this because what, what you're, what I'm hearing through this is essentially um, it's almost a backdoor way to, to therapy. And I, and I, and I mean that in the, in the highest of regard, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know this is traumatic and we know that people need support and we know not everybody necessarily is going to feel like, yeah, let me go get, go get a therapist or get a counselor or work with right. the social, whatever that is. Um, but we know the, the amount of personal um, decisions that, ha- that have to be made on teachers, especially given this crazy shift that we made in one day, to your point, right? One day we're in school and the next day we're gone. Right. And we're thinking we're coming back. You know, we, you know right. I remember thinking, okay, great. Well, I made my e-learning plan and, and we just got that approved. And I spent six months, so we're good to go. And then <laughs> after a week, I was like, oh, that really wasn't, <laughs> that plan isn't really it. And so the this notion of people needing support and kind of lowering that bar, um, how do you how do you help people who, you know, these these coaches working with the coaches, how are how are they working with these personal, very personalized? Because some will some will click back and say, I don't want my te- I don't want to know about the teacher's problems or they that we have a mm. EAP for that or they have health insurance. They should go. That's not my responsibility uh, to to put those services in place for teachers. If they want that, they should go seek that elsewhere. So, and I, I think you're right that it is part of the mental health piece, but it's different than therapy. This type of coaching is so focused on dealing with present circumstances and how you're moving forward through it, not necessarily going into your past and finding out why um, you, you've got anxiety. You, right? Why you've like, got daddy issues, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing that work. It's not, it's not that work. It can help bring awareness to that. And our coaches sure. may say, hey, you know, that sounds like something to process with an actual therapist. But for our coaches, it's there's two things I want I want to talk about here. One is that to provide this level of support, leaders that are really aware will recognize that by bringing in an outside coach, you will increase vulnerability. You will and you yes. will increase usership because it's not tied to anybody in your district. Yes. So you know, lots of schools say, well, we have mentorship programs or, or we have coaches, but if they are either your direct supervisor or could report back or even gossip. Yes, absolutely. You're just not going to get the same level of engagement and the same level of honesty. And so what we know is that schools that use an external coaching service see transformation in a much more profound way. Our coaches are, because they are contracted in, right? Like you're working with us, we're the service provider. They will let us know general themes. Like, hey, we talked about um, these sort of large overarching mindset themes around 
you know, personal resilience, Mm -hmm. or they wanted to work on relationships, but they're not getting into like, well, Tara's having a problem with John, you know, or whatever it is. Like there's just not that piece there. So the actual growth is significant. And then all of our work with coaches comes with some homework you have to do. Then you meet with your coach. And then there's this requirement to actually put something into action. So it's not static. It's not like, oh, I'm going to talk with my coach and I feel good at the end of the call. It's then, okay, so what are you going to do between now and our next coaching session? So there's this action focus, this actual, like, put it into play focus, which is what aids in the behavioral shift, which aids in the transition in a way that's different than it's not necessarily my responsibility or gosh, that just sounds like mental health and they have healthcare for that. Right. Because so this, it focuses on their actual work. And they have this outside person who provides this space of safety mm-hmm. that, that is, is a sacred, you know, a coveted space between that person and the coach. And then they're able to, what it sounds like is they're able to have some action and follow-up so that they're staying kind of within the parameters that, that, that I'm guessing maybe the coach and the coachee yeah. uh, have, have set together yeah, in line with the hope that the vision that the, the superintendent or whomever has kind of said what, what we hope for, for our staff. What we hope for, for our staff and whether that's something, you know, we want to really work on implementing a new initiative and I need people ready to be in the space to, you know, challenge the way things are done and, um, you know, bring others on board with that. That's great. So how do you, how do you, I'm sorry, how do you, uh, how do we measure? How do we know? I mean, you, you gave me some data, the 91 teachers and these mm -hmm. many people sold up. How do we know that we've moved the needle? How do we know that this works and actually helps our teachers in turn helping our students? There's an interesting piece about that because we're so data, you know, the world is so data driven, Mm -hmm. but when you're not quantifying, um, sort of like how many sessions they've had or like mm-hmm. not doing 360s, right? We're not going out into the community and asking all of their um, teachers for a principal to give feedback based on, you know, oh, they're being coached and we want it to know more, right? And like a traditional leadership review. Most of what we have, most of our data comes from personal anecdote. So they, they these leaders come to us and say, you know, I want to engage in one of your program or a superintendent buys it for their principals. And what they notice is that over time there through the coaching program, not only does the, the person experiencing it say I've shifted, but the person who has purchased the program will notice the shift because you're shifting culture, mm-hmm. right? You're shifting. And it's almost like your data comes from what's not there right? So somebody gets fewer phone calls about a person, or there's less time spent venting about a situation. You have to look for what's not happening that was happening that caused the coaching to begin with, or you'll notice that meetings are more productive and effective. Um, You have lower turnover rates because teachers feel empowered uh, or supported to take on the next leadership role, or 
parents are excited and talking about the school because they feel that they've, you know, that there's a, a cultural positivity that may or may not have been there before. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, so it, and that's what we're hoping for. It, which is what we're hoping for. So it's this strange thing of like, you know, I went, it's, it's hard to quantify in the sense of I went from having, you know, 10 complaints about me to one complaint about me. So therefore coaching worked. And that's actually one of the biggest challenges is to see, to position coaching as a best practice and not as a tool for fixing a, a difficult situation. That's a great point because we are, we're fit, we're almost fixated on the other end around the goals and the data and, mm-hmm. and the making sure um, that, that we're meeting these criteria in order to, because again, we're in this highly regulated right. environment, but that said, there still has to, there, I'm, I'm certain with your within the people that you work with um, around their school improvement plans, their district improvement plans, um, depending on where their funding sources are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I would imagine there are data collection points um, that they're using to validate the work. Yeah, and for each school it's different, right? Because it depends on what they're trying to address within their organization, right? So if, if you have a school like the one that I was talking about where they were working on personal resilience, what they've been able to report back to us is that they've noticed that the principals are showing up and they are in a, in a better space to take on initiatives. The conversations are becoming more future focused rather than fear based. Right. So it's they have noticed a shift. If another school is looking at how are we going to um, implement inquiry programs? And we want to put together a team and or do an action research project. But every time we do one of these, we always get to the point where we then can't implement the the new initiative because people are fearful. Well, then as we coach people through that program, then we can talk to them about are more of your pieces of research, your, your action programs, your initiative actually getting implemented and implemented successfully. So it depends on what it is that they're doing on what we're looking at. That makes sense. And and anytime you're working as you are in a partnership approach, it is very much personalized mm-hmm. to that individual or to that district. So, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I want to ask you as we kind of wrap up things here, is there anything that I didn't ask you that, that you're passionate about or that you're really leaning into that you want to share with us? You know, one of the things I, I, I think is for me that, that as I've been working with coaching, as I've been looking at schools from this other side, right, I, I'm now out of the daily interactions, is just how do we adopt some of the practices that we see in other industries that can mm-hmm. really serve schools? Because there's such a rejection of anything corporate, which I understand, right? We're not, we're not in the business of like creating widgets, but there, there are some practices that other industries around innovation and disruption and flexible dynamic thinking that seem to, to hit be hit or miss in schools. And even our work around coaching is one of those. You know, I, I, I talked with a leader and I certainly felt like this myself that if you don't, if you're in a Fortune 50 company, right? If you're <laughs> nice, <laughs> Yeah. A vice president at Facebook or what's that like? <laughs> Chef on, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't have an executive coach, 
people right. look at you funny. I, absolutely. And I'd add to that, we promote coaches for our teachers, but not necessarily, in my opinion, not necessarily for our leaders or to your point, our superintendents Mm -hmm. or, yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have an exec, you only, you have an executive coach either because you are growing as you're in in corporate or you're, you're in trouble, right? right? Those are, those are the two reasons. You're absolutely right there. So knowing that we are dealing with in my estimation, our most precious resource, which is our children. And we're managing these totally complex systems with, you know, huge budgets, Uh, positioning ourselves and seeing ourselves as this leader that needs somebody solely in their corner to say, hey, lean into that, or you're doing a great job, go do it again, or how did that go for you? Right. Like this work is too important to not be investing in the adults. It, it just it, it it kind of blows my mind that I know we want every dollar spent on kids. I know. I know. Like they're never <laughs> setting budgets yes. like I do. Yes. Right. Like I yes. have school aged children. But we also know that when teachers are the biggest influence of student achievement, right, biggest predictors of student achievement and school leadership is the biggest influencer on teacher effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So we've got two buckets of adults that that need this work and that we just expect them to be superheroes is, is unfair. Well, and coaching is, is the way to that collective efficacy, yeah. which we know teacher collective efficacy it is to your point rate is, is at like 44% or something, right? It's really high up there relative to the moving the needle. And so um, absolutely allowing, giving our teachers that time and that space along with our leaders um, mm-hmm. to really dig into this deep work because it's hard and our educators are publicly slant. Not only is it hard, not only is, is te- was and is teaching hard, before, never in history have our teachers been under the gun like they are in the media. They are oh, being yeah. disparaged in and right online, and you, you can watch the news. And so that I mean, they're they're probably many of them are feeling the ones I feeling pretty down. Lots of people leaving the profession. Mm-hmm. So and and the mark of a just and democratic society is our ed, is educating. Right, we in the United States compulsory education. There's something that is great about that. We believe in educating every student. Yeah. And so um, in order to do that and do that well, we have to take care of our people. So mm-hmm. I, I agree I, with you. I appreciate that. Um, before we go, final question. We ask everybody this. Okay. Final question. What do you hope the future of education is in the next 10 years? Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. That's a lovely question. That's a loaded one, right? Yeah. But um, I'll preface that by saying I, I come from sort of the disruptors mindset, right? Like I really would love to see educators take advantage of the disruption of the pandemic and shake up the practices and, and teach the way that they know is best for the students regardless of what these other systematic pressures are put on them. So this idea around um, being more personalized and differentiated and um, less siloed 
like, that's what I want to see for education. I, I want, I want people to be able to, to create these amazing experiences for students that get them to think so that these students can see themselves as major contributors to the world rather than just them waiting to get out yes. of school before they do something cool. Right. Like, yes, we're, we're, uh, you know, I said it before, we're architects of this experience and these kids are so curious and creative and the literature that's out there, you know, whether it's from Ken Robinson or these other people around, like we've, schools have killed creativity, schools have killed spirit. Like I've seen that in a larger institution, but I've also seen teachers that are just doing such amazing work. And I want every teacher to feel empowered to do that. And I want every administrator to like, blow open the system for them to do that in a way that is just so exciting. I am on that mission with you, Tara. <laughs> I want, I, right there, we, we move from passive participation to active creators. Yes. And if we can do that, we will, we will be over, overjoyed with what we, we see happening in public education. I agree with you. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Taryn O'Brien, partner at BTS Spark. If people want to know a little bit more about you or about your organization, where can they find you? So they can find me on LinkedIn and um, lots of information on the web at um, bts.com slash spark. Great. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me.